0: And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die
1: Back when I was a kid growing up in the late 1900s, um, there, was a, there was a special uh, thing that happened. And I remember it very clearly. Maybe you remember this as well. There was an advertisement for something that was going to revolutionize the world. But they wouldn't tell us what it was. They just would call it it. It. And they said, wait until it arrives. And so you would go different places and there would be billboards saying like, what is it? And then with a date. And so there was a lot of hype built up for what it was and people were speculating what it was. There was all kinds of different speculations. No one knew what was coming. Does anybody remember this? No one but me. Okay, maybe one other. (laughs) It was a big deal in the late 1900s though, okay? (laughs) Okay. And when it finally arrived, it was amazing. They had, I remember it clear as day, I was watching um, the Today Show. Uh, I have a little bit of an obsession with the uh, early morning TV shows, as my wife would tell you. Uh, I was watching the Today Show as a young man uh, before school, and they had the camera set. And then the next thing we knew, it arrived, and it was a man riding a Segway onto the camera. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you could have anything more anticlimactic than a (laughs) Segway after all of that hype about what is it? But when the guy came out, he said, this is going to revolutionize the world. We're not going to be walking anymore. We're going to be riding these Segways everywhere we go. And unless you're taking one of those weird tours of downtown Boston, that is just not true. No one rides a Segway. Uh, Only like Job from Arrested Development rides a Segway. And that was in the early 2000s. That was a long time ago. He was still riding the, riding the, 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 um, The thrills of the announcement. This segue that they brought out, they brought this out as a proof of concept, as a prototype for a new way of living, so they would say. This was the new way that we were going to be getting around. And honestly, every great invention starts with just that. Every great invention starts with a proof of concept or or a prototype. Airplanes, internal combustion engines, iPhones, even the great sleeper sofa all started with a prototype. You have to make one, make sure that it works, and then after you see that it works, you replicate it a million times over. In today's passage, we see that Jesus is a prototype for the resurrection. Jesus was the prototype for the resurrection from the dead. We're not celebrating just the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. We're rejoicing because one day we also will be raised from the dead as he was. That is the argument that Paul is laying forward in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's dive into the passage just for a moment as we look at what he's saying here. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So to give you a little context of of who Paul is talking to, Paul is, is speaking to the Corinthians. Corinth was a wild place, all right? Corinth was a place where anything goes. There was some nuts stuff going on in the church at Corinth. Corinth made Vegas look like a monastery, okay? This was just a wild place to live. They were doing all kinds of stuff. It was a little rough around the edges. And it appears as though there were some in the church who were making the argument that, you know, people really aren't raised from the dead. No one's really been raised from the dead at any point. This doesn't happen. But Paul is then kind of obliterating this argument. And he's saying, look, if you say that that no one is raised from the dead, that if the resurrection doesn't happen, that means that Jesus himself wasn't even raised from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what are we doing? That's what he's saying. What's the point? He says, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. This is all pointless. Go home. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. That's what he says. Now, I love my life as a Christian. I love my life as a Christian. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, if there is no eternal life, I'm doing a few things a little different than what I should be. Because I'm thinking about eternal life all the time. I'm thinking about... I have to delay now because the Lord has told me that it is better for me to stay away from some things because he loves me enough to know that those are bad things for me and I'll be rewarded in the future. A lot of my life wouldn't make sense if there is no resurrection from the dead. I'm intentionally delaying gratification with the hope of eternity. As Christians, we put a lot of stock in eternity, That's the whole thing. We set our eyes on heaven, which allows us to enjoy today. But look at what Paul says, verse 20. There's no if in this verse. It's just, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has. He's not saying if, he's just, but in fact, actually, he has been raised from the dead. How do we know? Well, you join us 15 minutes after the service and let Jonathan convince you. We would love for you to do that. He's got a lot more arguments than what I'm going to offer right now. I'm just going to offer you what what Paul gave the Corinthians. Because what he said just a few verses earlier is that we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. Because one, he fulfilled the messianic prophecies. All the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, he fulfilled them all to the T. And not only that, but we know he raised from the dead because we saw him. That's what Paul's saying. He was walking around, he was appearing to people, over 500 people, and there wasn't a TV screen for him to go on to, okay? He's just walking around making himself very publicly known. We know that Jesus was risen from the dead because they saw him, the tomb was empty. Verse, there's a lot more reasons. I, I'd invite you to stick around afterwards to hear Jonathan give that full argument. The way that'll work, he'll, he'll give like a 15-minute presentation. Then you get to ask him any questions that you want to with that. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is risen. risen Got to keep you on your toes. Uh, the first fruits of those who have fallen. Now, what does that mean? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, your first fruits, the word is kind of self-explanatory, right? It's the first fruit that comes off of the tree or off of the vine. Every year around this time, maybe a little bit later, my wife uh, plants a couple of tomato plants on our porch. And I don't know what it is about our porch, or maybe it's just that she has a, a green thumb, but these tomato plants get busy. They grow very large and take over most of our porch. And then every year she is very excited when the first fruit comes off the vine. We have our first tomato plant, but then very soon we have a problem because I don't like tomatoes. (laughs) And then we just have tomatoes everywhere, okay? They're just all over the kitchen. They're hanging on the vine still. She's gotten tired of them. It's fun for a minute, okay? The resurrection of Jesus was not just to prove that he was who he said he was. Now, it did that. When Jesus raised from the dead, it proved that he was, that he is the second member of the Trinity, that he is the Son of God. But it also set up a prototype for what it looks like to be called a child of God, that you also will be resurrected, that you also will come back to life just as he has. That's what Paul is saying with the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is a proof of concept when he says those who have fallen asleep. This is his poetic way of those, of those who have de- died but are coming back to life. They've just fallen asleep for a short amount of time. One day, they will be resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected. Now, this sounds weird, does it not? Because the biblical view of eternity, the biblical view of heaven is so much different than the common view of heaven that we have. Normally, when we think about heaven, we think about disembodied existence of our souls floating around in comfy Charmin clouds, hanging out with chubby little angels while they play harps. And that sounds delightful. But if that's all heaven is, I don't know about you, I'm going to get bored after like the first 10,000 years. I think that the promise of Christianity is so much more than the common view of eternity that we have. It's so much more than simply reuniting with loved ones. I look forward to reuniting with loved ones. But it's so much more than that. There's so much more that Christianity offers. The great hope of Christianity is not a disembodied existence in the clouds. The great hope of Christianity is that though you may die, you may come back to life if you are in Christ. That you will once again have air, oxygen, filling your lungs. That you will get to live in communion with God throughout eternity here's how it works verse 21 for as by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order christ the firstfruits; then at his coming back those who belong to christ He's taken the argument all the way back to the book of Genesis. We've been going through the book of Genesis, if you've been with us, for the past six months or so. We're about halfway through the book. We'd invite you to come next week as we continue to go through the book, and we're going to be ending it in just a couple of months. Then we'll be diving into another book, because we like to preach through books of the Bible. But the, the week that I had on Genesis this week, it was like the sins that uh, Jacob committed that were like Abraham, and I was like, eh, it doesn't have Easter vibes, Okay. <laughs> So we, we went to 1 Corinthians 15. And here he's saying that if you go back in, in Genesis, you'll find these people, Adam and Eve, and we know this story, that they rebelled against God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And through their rebellion, death entered the world. And because the first people rebelled against God, death has reigned since the time of Adam. All of us are in his representation leadership. He, he was our representative And because of him, all people die. But what he's saying here is that if Jesus is now your representative, through faith in him, we live. You see, Jesus, he took on the sin that we deserve. He took on the sin that goes all the way back to the time of Adam. And he died the death that we deserve. He paid the penalty for that sin. And so when we place our faith in him, it's like we're being hidden in what he has done for us. His death counts as our death. But you know what? His resurrection is also our representative. We also get new life because of what he has done. Jesus took on the sin of the world. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. They took him down. They placed him in a tomb. He stayed there, but not for long. Because on the third day, his lungs filled back up, his knees bent, and he got up. The stone was rolled away, and he made himself visible to his followers. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. He he didn't die again. He was He ascended to heaven, taken back to be at the right hand of the Father. He is risen. risen Jesus is the prototype, the first fruits of our resurrection. But he's also the prototype for what life is like in the resurrection. Now, we oftentimes think about Jesus kind of like a, a spiritual gumball machine. Like we put our our quarter of faith in him and then he spits out eternal life. That's the way that we think about it. Like I put a little hope in you, you give me eternal life. It's a, you know, quid pro quo, if you will. It's not like that. What Jesus is doing for us is he's not only exemplifying that we will be raised from the dead, he's exemplifying what resurrected life looks like. Because Jesus... What he wants most for us, what he wants most for you and I, is to experience the love that he has experienced throughout eternity past. Jesus has been at the right hand of God, and actually, I, I talked about this a little bit on Good Friday if you made it down there, but when I think about the throne room of heaven, I think about God the Father in the middle. And then the Bible describes that the son is at the right hand of God. So I think about like a lesser throne right next to him. And then maybe the Holy Spirit's over here. We don't know. That one's mysterious. And then all of a sudden, as I have this mental image, I've committed like four heresies of of the Trinity. What the Bible describes Jesus as with his relationship with his father is that he's, John 1 verse 18, that he's at the father's side. But this word side, You can interpret it different ways. And in fact, it's one of those few words that I think that the King James Version actually gets better than what we get It. The King James Version says that he's at the bosom of the Father. It's a word that could mean chest. It's intimately close. It's not just that he's over there. He's intimately close. Jesus has existed with the Father throughout eternity past in this beautiful dance of communion and fellowship. And Jesus is absolutely obsessed with his Father. Throughout the book of John, Jesus mentions his father 117 times. Yes, I counted them. He's obsessed with them. He talks about his father more than he talks about sex, more than he talks about greed. He just wants people to understand the love of the father, and that's the whole purpose why he came. In his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I know that you love them, and I am here so that they might know your love that they might have it in them as I am in them. And so life in the resurrection is not about quantity of life. It's about quality of life. Yes, it's about quantity. We will be living throughout eternity, but I want you to think about heaven less about quantity because it's hard for us to imagine a thing like infinity, but more about quality because it's easy for us to imagine the feeling of love. Friends, the the loving fellowship that the greatest father in the history of the world has enjoyed with his son, I hope you've had a great relationship with your dad. I didn't, but I hope that you've had a great relationship with your dad and you have just these really positive experiences. I have a great relationship with my son, both of them. The greatest fellowship that any father has enjoyed with his son is a mere pixel compared to the HD plasma screen TV of the love of the father toward his son. It is a mere molecule of H2O in the ocean of love that God has for Jesus. And when you are found in Jesus, guess what? That love extends to you. You become a child of God just as he is a child of God. Because it's not you, it's Jesus over you. You get to share in this cosmic dance that's been going on throughout the history of eternity. You're enveloped into the fellowship of the Trinity. I love the way that Michael Reeves puts it. He says it like this. He says, the Father so loves that he desires to catch us up into that loving fellowship that he enjoys with the Son. And that means that I can know God the Father as my Father. Friends, God is infinitely pleased with you if you are in the Son, because he loves you as he loves Jesus. It's hard to get your mind around that you are that loved. When he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, it extends to you. He is proud of you. He is not ashamed of you. He is glad to have you. Jesus is the prototype for the reality of the resurrection and Jesus is the prototype for the relationship with the Father that we get to enjoy. Now let me end with this to wrap things up and you know what that means in preacher talk, right? <laughs> this life is not all that there is. Just... just Take that in for a moment. This life is not all that there is. When you face discouragements, this life is not all that there is. When you face sufferings, this life is not all that there is. There's so much more that you are guaranteed because of what Christ has done for you. When we suffer in this life, it's so easy to get discouraged. And so here's an illustration that many preachers have used, including myself. If you've been around here for a little while, you might recognize this one. But I can't think of one that is better. Let's imagine that the Segway actually did change the way that we think about the world. And so they instantly have to make like four billion of these, okay, so that everybody in the world can, you know, not everyone, but, you know, family, households have a Segway. they might share, something like that. And so they instantly have to make a lot of Segways. So let's, let's think about it like this. They, they probably build an assembly line and then there's really tedious tasks to do. Like it's like you have one screw that you put into one place on the Segway every day. You screw it in and then you get the next, the next one over. You screw it in, you know, next screw. Your job becomes just putting the same screw into the same stupid invention over and over and over and over again throughout eternity. But let's just say that it works like this. So you have two people. And they both have to do the same task for six days. And so the first person you say, this is your job. This is what you're going to do. You're just going to make your normal salary. But this is what you're going to do for the next six days. You're going to do it for eight hours a day. And then after that, um, you'll just make the same amount that you're making currently. And then with the second person, they say, yeah, this is your new job. You're going to be putting the screw into the Segway every single day. But at the end of six days, we're going to give you $5 million. Now, their perspective on placing the screw into the Segway is going to be quite different throughout the week. The first person is going to feel a little tired. They might even give up, be like, I'm going to my old job. Why am I doing this? Because I don't know what you do for a living, but I assume it's more interesting than placing a screw into a Segway over and over and over again. But the second person, you know, they're just... They're just singing kumbaya over there. It's it's a happy day. They're going to be bringing in the paycheck. The promise of future reward shapes the way we think about the present. The promise of future reward shapes the way we think about the present. And in Christianity, you are guaranteed, you are assured that you will be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected because that's what he said. And I don't know about you, but I'm believing the man who, who got up from dead, who was raised, risen from the dead. I'm believing what he said. He might be the one he said he was. And as we have faith in him, it helps us through each and every day. No one, friends, no one has a more sure and stable future than you. Set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. This is the same message of hope that has helped millions of Christians throughout the history of the past 2,000 years. This has helped Christians in the lowest of places. Think about those who've gone before you. There are people that have suffered greater than you have suffered. And this is the message that has seen them through it. The same message that went to them goes to you. And it's that there's more to life than this, that Christ has won the victory, that death is defeated, and that he is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All that we must do is trust on him. And then he envelops us into this relationship with the Father that we get to start to enjoy even today. You don't have to wait until your body starts to move again in the resurrection, but you get to enjoy this quality of life starting the moment you trust in him. And so I encourage you, my friends, to interact with the Father, to see him as he wants you to be seeing him as benevolent, kind, loving, someone who loves you as a child, as a father might love a child. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he initiated a sacred meal. And this is a meal that we do to remember that he died for us. And we participate in this meal every week. And the church will continue to participate in this meal regularly until he comes again. And so what he invites us to do is to examine our lives before we take this meal and say, am I I walking with Jesus? And then as we receive the communion meal, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And when we're receiving those things, we're saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And so with all that being said, I want to invite you to stand as we sing praises to our resurrected King. Father, as we prepare ourselves to receive this sacred meal We pray for those who are questioning whether or not they should take it right now. And we pray that you would give them assurance of salvation, that you would help them to relate with you in a beautiful way. And for those who can't take it, we pray that they might receive you today and be able to enjoy it with us next week. Jesus, we pray that you would give us great hope in life. God, thank you for sending your son, so that we might enjoy the power of his resurrection. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill this room with these last two songs, that we might understand your goodness and your grace in a new kind of way, that you would help us to be able to reflect you, to love you, and to sing your praises. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.